Hello. Hello, this is Dan Brown again today with another A Lens a Day uh, conversation about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the impressive Dahlia Levine. Dahlia, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, and uh, I'm really, uh, I know you deal a lot with kind of uh, deep taxonomy type uh, problems. So I'm I'm really curious to talk to you about uh, collaboration. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of folks about process and bringing other people along uh, with uh, in, uh, in the IA process, because that journey can sometimes take us into fairly abstract places. Um, so I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about what does an ideal collaborative project look like to you when you're focused on you know specific aspects of information architecture who do you like to have around you uh, and who do you like to draw into that process to help uh, with that work that's a great question because um i channel all like all these great thinkers that we get to hang around with in the information architecture world and I, what always comes to mind is Ren Pope saying, well, it depends. And like, we all say that, um, but for him, especially because, you know, when you're working on taxonomy, um, it depends what you're organizing. And I always say uh, the joke is never old. Like, you know, I'm a taxonomist. I stuff dead words and um, it, it ends up being like when you're collaborating, it's a it's a tricky dance of like you're not going to stuff all the words of all the world or all the language, depending on which language you're working in. It's going to be specific to what you're doing. So in my career, like at the Ford Foundation, it was I was lucky enough to work for a worldwide philanthropic organization and every single person working on something there was an expert in their field. So that was the best time that I could say like, okay, I need to learn about what the education people are working on and their world and what their what's important to them. And then, you know, next day it was another topic and then take it around the world and how it shifts. And, you know, a 75 year old, actually it's probably now 85 year old organization, we were the ones tasked with like, not just organizing the current information, but the past information. So language breathes and changes and it breathes, not breathes, but um, it changes over time. So we also had to figure out like, okay, what are words that like might show up in a classification, but are not really good to be surfaced um, and collaboration meant the experts, the IT department, the, the systems people, um, and e the conversations were different. So when it's a subject matter expert, I need them to tell me what they did. So I was looking for words that they were using to explain what they how they worked. I was looking for clarification and if you know I'd done some research beforehand, if you say this, do you mean this? If you say that, do you mean that? Is this an okay word? Like that's often what I went back to them, like, is this okay to say? And that's when I would get the best, no, 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 don't say it this way, say it this way. Um, then it was, 
I mean, one of the best things I ever did was create uh, a diagram of how our classification system connected to the intranet, connected to the servers. And then the like two years later, someone walked up to me and said, it's not a system diagram. I'm like, because I don't know how to draw system diagrams, but I need a picture to say where stuff was and it helped me understand it. Um, so again, it, it depended which, which conversation was I having? Is it the subject matter experts? And I still like the, the report that came out this week from IPCC, I'm like, oh, that was an acronym I had such trouble, trouble with. And like, you know, the complexity of climate change was something that like, I didn't know where to start, but people have started. So you look to where they're, um, they're working on. And so that's continued at HBO, the, I got like media production people to like work with me. They always hated the metadata people because they're like, oh, you slow us down. It's too hard, it's too hard. And I got them to really work together. We had this great collaboration going because I just said, I'm not getting in your way. I'm, there is no reason for me to put some metadata fields in there to stop you, to slow you down from getting a video out to YouTube. So an example I thought of that really crystallized it was um, we create a, a metadata schema at HBO and you need to know like the series and you need to know the season and you need to know how many seasons there are and how many episodes in the season. When the marketing department's promoting season eight of Game of Thrones, they know it's season eight. They really don't want to have to tell any system or any computer this is season eight. It should just be automatic. When it, you go to save it, you need to know, oh, hey, this was season eight, this was season seven, this was season six. But that was slowing them down. I mean, it's a simple one point, but if you take away one point, one detail. And we ended up having this great working relationship because I used post-its of the same thing. Do you mean this or this? And like presented two of them and they're like, that one. Okay, let's take that one. And and then like a year later, they're like, can we do that post-it thing again? Um, and it was because I was understanding their workflow. I was understanding what they were saying to each other. I was understanding that they would say BTS and that was behind the scenes, um, but not everything fit like that. And it wasn't gonna always be this structure of it has to be a BTS or it's something else or a trailer. Um, and they really, that approach brought trust. So they trusted me that I was only going to ask for what I absolutely needed. Um, and that you still have a problem, like down to where the users are searching for content and you're still frustrated. But when you're creating the content, where you, what you're doing, what you're, and that goes into the taxonomy work and where that taxonomy ends up being applied. Um, is always there. It's always driving everything that happens. So I hope that was a long-winded question. That but that's great. that's that was... really the cl collaboration and like, when in doubt, draw the picture. Yeah, um, that was awesome. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I've been struggling with that you sort of uh, touched on is this idea that um, metadata is seen as something uh, that slows people down um it's sort of like another thing on the to-do list they've got to do that sort of prevents them from getting to whatever they perceive their goal is um you talked about some ways in which you sort of help them feel like 
it or reducing it as a barrier uh, to entry. But I'm also wondering what approaches have you used to help people understand the value of good metadata? What is it uh, where, uh, yes, this feels like an obstacle, I'm gonna make that obstacle as minimally painful for you as I can, but there's still, uh, there's still a need to do it. And this is what it produces. This is what it buys us at the end. How have you communicated that previously? Um, back to that, the marketing department, um, and it was just one part of a massive marketing department, but because I got into that system where they were putting videos to get them out to YouTube, um, that team ended up telling another part of the marketing team, no, you just have to figure out that search doesn't work. Like you can't use search like Google. We put in this metadata so you can actually find the things. And they would teach another marketing team, hey, this is what Dahlia showed us. I mean, sometimes they would say it that way, but sometimes because they got it, like, okay, the system had some flaws, but because I got in there first and be like, okay, you have to put this here, this here, this here, three things. And then they were telling another team, you can't find anything because the Google search, the search doesn't look like Google, which is the Googleization of everything. You keep, every search bar is supposed to be as uh, snappy as, as Google is. Um, so this is the trick. And that was when I was like, oh my God, it worked. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, sometimes it's, um, if you need to find this again, but that again with marketing, it's like they never needed to find season seven. Right. Um, that uh, was done. The archives. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was long gone. Um, the archives department might need to. Um, but I think it always has been um, what stayed true for like no matter if I'm at a philanthropy or a media company or current uh, job, like you know, that moment when you're just really frustrated and you slam down the mouse, like that's what I'm working on and figuring out like, okay, what is the context for this? How much can I go into the weeds of like, I need to nest this and everyone, then I lose everyone. I'm like, okay, let's figure out where else I could do it. But it's what, what are you saying? What do you mean? What are you trying to say? There's still an aspect as much as computers and tech have grown in the world, our human brains are still more complex and just reminding people of that. Um, I think this year has really taught us that uh, in a hard way. I wish that that wasn't the case, but um, we are still a more complex thinker and that we're still breaking stuff down when we're dealing with, with computers. And that, that goes with collaboration. Like I'm trying to get you to do what you need to do and I'll do it in a way to help you, um, whether it's the consumer looking for something later, it's the person inside of a, an organization organizing something to optimize it. Um, lately, like I've also been trying to articulate things as this should help with technical debt and then hoping that that resonates. Um, so that's, I think that's really how I've approached it and it, it seems to keep working sometimes good, sometimes not. Sometimes it takes a while. And then later on, people will be like, oh, now I got what you're trying to say. I'm like, okay, I'm glad. Um, eventually. There's, yeah, that there's definitely that eventually moment. Like, and sometimes it's almost 
uh, I have to remind myself that we will get to that eventually moment. Um, but uh, it, it takes some time, it takes uh, eventually uh, to get there. This sort of uh, reminds me of the lens uh, that you picked that in doing this design work around taxonomies or metadata systems that um, uh, folks like you and I might have an urge um, to make it encompass everything uh, that there is, but um, uh, that there's not always value in making it encompass everything that there is, or it may be worth sacrificing some of that uh, in order uh, to make it feasible or to make it, let's just say, an easier pill to swallow uh, for uh, for the folks who have to, to use it. Um, so that's my, my setup for you. Can you tell us what lens we zeroed in on and uh, why it resonates with you? The lens we zeroed in on is comprehensiveness. And one of the things I really appreciate about the lenses is sometimes you don't realize you're working on these lenses. And like, especially as the physical form of them, which I know you can get it in tech, in um, virtual form, but like to have the cards and like sort them and not sort them. But sometimes you don't realize how one relates to another, but to focus on comprehensiveness, like the structure clarifies the scope of the domain represented. So you're not trying to do everything. Uh, you're not, and um, I had thought of this morning, I thought of a sp very specific example where I learned the hard way. Um, and so as a taxonomist, um, I always use location taxonomy as the one that, oh, this is pretty easy. I just connected to Google Maps. And that's when I'm like, yeah, that's a problem. Um, why? Well, when you're naming things, you're, you're, you name things, it's, it, it has meaning. And so you have to realize what, what list of locations you're using and why. Um, there's, now we have the language. This past two years has been like, oh my, there's now this like mutual understanding that I will say there is going to be resonance of, um, the, how how we came about in this world, history, politics, um, you know, who conquered who, um, and it it will manifest itself in location names. And you you're like, well, why can't I just use a list from? Well, if you use the CIA fact book, that's great. Um, but who do they not count in there? Um, if you're using the UN, that's great. But if you're doing business in Taiwan, the UN doesn't recognize Taiwan. Um, so when I worked at the U at UNICEF, it was like, who are we going to piss off as we you name things? And these are really, I mean, people have died over these conflicts and names pop up on them. And you're like, well, I just need a location name. Um, and so it's sometimes the, the structure of that location means you don't have to go that far detailed. You don't need um continents you don't need certain place names if you're not doing any business there um and i mentioned before like education grant makers if they're working in the us um i was trying to figure out how to get a computer to figure to disambiguate to figure out like the difference between springfield you know the the simpsons use springfield because it's really common uh last time i looked there's like 13,000 entries of springfield in geo names, which is a more open linked data thing. I haven't looked in a while, but 
I was struggling to get the like machine to understand like this Springfield versus that Springfield just in the US. And then it dawned on me. The important thing about this report was for the education team that it was gonna talk about Massachusetts and Ohio and the state was more important than the city. And I could just take out Springfield. And then I wasn't dis disambiguing. So like the structure of the domain was what just made some made the decision really clear because the, the machine would would not be able to distinguish like you know oh it said springfield did it say michigan near it did it say missouri near it did it say ohio near it i was like or the important thing was it was an education report and i was losing sight of that and so that's the like the complete picture helps you figure that out you might have a need to put in Springfield. I haven't found one yet, <laughs> Other, which is why the Simpsons 25, 30 years ago, that was a brilliant move. Um, so that's, that's a really great manifestation of like why structure matters. Like if you don't care what, uh, what you call the below, uh, the continent below, maybe you don't need it. Um, so don't put it in there. Um, and that's really like, you're really articulating now the struggles with categorization and it, it, it manifests itself where you don't expect it. But as IAs, we need to know where it will show up if we're not careful. Um, because as we make those categorization choices, it will make the machine make those choices. It'll make others make those choices. Um, and that we as IAs need to be aware of it. Um, not everyone needs a Springfield speech. Not everyone needs to know, like, I could go on another one about Latin America versus South America, but um, you as an IA understand those choices that are being made as you um, make those make those decisions. Um, and that's why, you know, it might be, I sometimes, there was one time in my um, career where I was like, well, maybe it's a hedge, a beautiful hedge in a bigger garden. Um, and you need to like have something grow across it, or maybe it's just a wall. Um, and like, this is the place that you're working in and like using the metaphors as they work. Um, but rather than throwing something over the wall and forgetting about it, I'm like, maybe a hedge. So therefore it can be beautiful. Um, but you have to start, you have to, you have to build it, you have to create it, you have to figure out what will flower. <laughs> is, um, I love that, uh, is, yeah, you've made me think of something which is that made me reflect on my own self and my own process and how my instinct is always to make the structures that I design comprehensive. Uh, and it's only through the, the design process or the project work uh, or you know, difficult conversations with the stakeholders that I come to realize I need to tone this back. Like I need to pull back from this, uh, not just instinct, but need to make it comprehensive. Um, and uh, sometimes that's really hard for me because I can, I can see the structures and I can see how they interconnect. I can see the garden as a whole. Uh, and I want everyone else to experience the garden in that way. But as you're saying, there are, um, obviously there's competing agendas, 
but also the structures themselves might not lend themselves to comprehensiveness. Did I get that right? Yeah, and I think it's a struggle. It's a struggle I still deal with because it's also, well, do, um, it's when you're chasing the edge cases. How do you know that they're edge cases and how do you know that they will like totally throw you or, you know, did you miss something? Um, you know, I, I always say, you know, I mean, I'm like, I feel like my education and everything that I've worked on and my moral grounding has a moral grounding and that the library part of my information, library and information science degree, I don't ever forget. And like, I will never forget like a, a medical librarian being worried that like in medical um, research, if you don't go back far enough, are you going to miss some clues that will then influence? And that's, uh, that's really, always scary and, and really um, has a lot, you know, that's when comprehensiveness is really important. And there's, that's why you have like ethics panels to, to overlook um, research. Um, but when you're drawing a structure and I, I, I struggle with this all the time, are am I focusing too much on the ed edge cases? Is this, really something that I can hone in on or is it too specific uh is it too nested is it too much in the weeds um and you know it's a constant struggle of reminding and figuring out whether it's collaborators to say like hey is this too far can we do a first pass uh what how will we know and it, it's a worry um that we always have i haven't figured out how to get rid of it <laughs> if you if i let you if i do i'll let you know if you do please let me know um but it, it also came up like um i reacted really strongly when i was working with um data governance um colleagues and they're like it's data lake and we don't want a data swamp and i don't know whether it's because my brother's a microbial biologist but i'm like but swamps are awesome like they're full of all this dynamic uh and like you know gardens and hedges like if a swamp's in there hey that's cool i'm like because there's and and i would just ask them like wait what's wrong with the swamp like <laughs> um and i think that's still the comprehensiveness like do you need to be the microorganism down below that you can't see or do you need to like figure out like what's the what's the painting the backdrop I don't know. And also saying I don't know is sometimes helpful. And sometimes it's like, well, I think this is the best, you know, what what first parts of the structure can you put up? And what metadata can you put up that you hope later will still be there to help um, for someone else tackling the project down the road? I, I have to say, like, it, it's a struggle and I guess that's why it still is interesting because it's like how much is this a use case an edge case and how much is it no I need to figure out what's the best one all around I don't know <laughs> I feel like I feel like um rendering that judgment is a product of experience there's no set of rules that we can follow there's no, there's not even really a methodology that says, well, if you do follow these steps, you'll be able to separate the edge cases from the core cases and 
uh, all your answers will become clear. So if it's not a, a method, uh, and there's no tool that can do that, then it's, it's really just experience that sort of allows us to either um, recognize it when we see it or uh, rely on the experts to help us discern what those edge cases are. I guess you and I have been very fortunate that we've been able to cultivate that experience uh, over time, but I'm very cognizant that a lot of folks are entering the UX field these days without that experience, without having the opportunity even to, uh, to think about these questions. So I've been asking folks, especially folks like you and I have been doing this for a while, what advice would you have for a newer entry into the UX field? What, how might you coach someone who's you know, just a couple of years into their UX career and they're interested in thinking about information architecture? How might you help them understand um, how to do IA or more specifically, how to apply this lens? Yeah, um, as you were talking, I was definitely thinking, you know, the challenge of when you do an intro to taxonomy class is like, well, why, why can't I get it? And, and that's where the experience comes in. And whenever I've worked with interns to work on taxonomy, yeah, it, there's some grunt work. There's a lot of grunt work. But that's the experience. That's the like, do it again, do it again, repeat. Um, and you know, to to say to someone, well, you have to figure out where it, where it depends. Um, it's not helpful. <laughs> uh, they don't like to hear that. Uh, but it also is like, okay, if you're in this type of role and you have constraints. And so I always hear, even if it's someone new to, to taxonomy, but in the UX UI IA space, well, how do I know when to stop? Um, it's it's also, um, it's actually not so much when to stop, but it's also, well, I have all these constraints. We're in a very heavily regulated industry. I'm like, that shouldn't stop you. That's actually really helpful. Figure out the regulations, figure out the constraints and, and bring it in. So the, the tax, taxonomists and ontologists I know, we we're really curious. You just have this curiosity that like, I sort of say it's follow your nose, um, but it's like, well, if, you know, following your nose to be like, well, I don't understand how this fits in. So look it up, um, but in look up in a very thoughtful way, you're not just gonna, and in this day and age, like this is something I'm really concerned about and I don't have any answers, but like, you're not just going to Google it and like go, oh, okay, it's this, because we now know like that's, fraught with um, misguided, you have to check the information sources. But when you're starting out, that's actually the perfect thing to do. Like I need to make a list of locations. So understand what are you going to make the locations for? And you sit there and you actually type in, I mean, now you don't have to type it, but like it doesn't hurt to do like repetitive work because that will make you think about it. That will make you do something about it. So I still, I go back and forth because like I ended up because I couldn't figure out a way to automate something. I sat there and I looked at a, a page of locations and I create a list. That manual process made me comprehend 
certain things in a different way. And I think that's one thing that you can do to build up that experience. Because uh, I, I happen to have an experience in college where I had to summarize a politician's speeches in Ireland for an entire semester. I would say now that is a great experience because I just summarized two sentences week after week after week after week. And that's a skill I use all the time. If you had asked me then, I was like, oh, I had something to do. It's really great. Uh, and he was a really good speaker. Um, but I now, like, that helped me understand, like, how people talk, how people comprehend, how, how difficult it is to summarize. And these tools do that for us. But, you know, a lot of when I was teaching taxonomy and ontology, I'm like, wow, if I did it again, I'd, te I'd use search analytics for your site. Why? Because you have to figure out how to go check assumptions with what are people actually typing in? What are they actually saying? What are they actually using? And that's still true today, but then you have to summarize it and then you have to create a list. So a mixture of that helps, plus being curious to say like, hey, is that something I know? Is that something I need to know? Is that something I should check? Who should I check with? And that curiosity should lead you to like, checking to make sure you're on the right path. I, I'm not sure if it works. I know that a couple of people it has, um, but whether it will work for more, I only hope, but that's what's worked in the past like this, you know, I don't understand how the algorithm is working from Google. Okay, you know, she spoke at the last IA conference, Safiya Noble's Algorithms of Oppression. Make sure you finish reading that book all the way. Like, it took me a while, but I did it because I didn't understand it. Um, so, and understanding also is specific to you. Summarizing of politician speeches really made me make connect, but that might not work for everybody. Um, and I, I respect that. <laughs> it's just a fluke of what I have happened to do before email was really everywhere. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. I think we will leave it there. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you.